Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. Of course, it's Victory Lane today on the Martin Truex Jr. edition. Some people may know Martin in the 1. Some people may know Martin in the 78. Now people know Martin in the 19. But I grew up, for the majority of my NASCAR racing fandom childhood, whatever you want to call it, with Martin Truex Jr. in the 56 car for Michael Waltrip Racing. So here's an ode to you, Mr. Martin Truex Jr. I think he won one or two races in that car. One was at Sonoma for sure. Snapped a long, long, long winless streak. And he may have won one more, but I think it was only that one. Anyways, on the Martin Truex Jr. edition of Victory Lane, we have Colin Garrett on the show. We discussed his start into racing at a, at a not a young age, a late age, all things considered. His fascination with Formula One, uh, some funny stories in between, including trips to the short track, Victor Obica's old shop, now that he's with uh, Hunt Garrett Racing, some Sant Hunt stories as well. We talked about a lot. Um... He's a really, really cool guy, and I've gotten to know him through the K&M Pro Series days. Uh, told me about some of those days, getting wrecked by people, um, having a lot of confidence, and then going into the Xfinity and Truck Series and not running well because he wasn't in good equipment. But there was just a lot of cool stories that he told about his early days at South Boston and growing up there, and getting started at a late age and what his friends were saying. It was, it was really fun. So I hope you enjoy that chat. Plus, William Byron wins again in iRacing. Shocker, right? I know. Start this episode out as we always do with a good old-fashioned do it with me, people. <laughs> E-NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series recap from the Monster Mile of Dover International Speedway. Willie B wins once again, passes Timmy Hill with seven laps to go for his third win in the last four races in the series. I think I saw a stat. He's led over 50% of all the laps run, something like that. He is on another level, on another planet when it comes to this stuff. Here's your winner again. Are you getting tired of hearing of him? On the call to have four fresh tires at the end of the race that wound up allowing him to pass the 66 at the end. No, it was a lot of fun today. I mean, obviously there was a lot of uh, caution, so I just had to kind of pace myself, and and it was hard to predict when we were going to get a longer run, so it was harder to know hard to know what to do with the tires in terms of how much to save and, and whatnot. But um, my uh, help there, Nick and, and Matt Holden did a great job of, of really kind of leaving the strategy up to them of what tires to take. And I think four tires there at the end was the right call to be able to be aggressive and uh, just, just thankful for their support and um, ready to get back to our normal racing here soon. And let's talk some real racing, shall we? How about the fact that he's going to be barreling down into turn one at the Lady in Black, the track too tough to tame, Darlington Raceway, at over 100 miles an hour, with no prior practice laps, no qualifying. That is daunting. What's the toughest part of that to think about and then have to do? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I think that um, the biggest thing is just trying to prepare yourself well physically because 
obviously you're not going to get that chance to really go through practice and, and kind of warm up your muscles, I guess you could say, um, to get ready in, in the car. But honestly, I've just been doing uh, some training and, and trying to watch some old film of, of races at Darlington. Um, with it being a daytime race, it's going to be different as well. So uh, a lot of, lot of different, you know, variables there, but the biggest thing is just being prepared. And I've used iRacing to train me on the mental side, which I think's really helped me. And I'm looking forward to carrying that confidence and that momentum over to, to the cup car. And William touches on the fact that there's going to be a lot of eyeballs, lots of attention that are going to be placed on the sport being one of, if not the only live sport back in the United States when May 17th comes around. How does he feel about all that? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, it's going to be, we're going to have to be careful health-wise and, and really take care of ourselves. And that's kind of, that starts with us as drivers to, to make sure that we're being smart and things of that nature. But um, when it comes to the racing, I'm honestly just very excited because, you know, it, it kind of goes back to your roots as a driver when you show up and, and you race and maybe you have a few laps of practice, but ultimately you kind of, get in the car and drive. So I'm looking forward to that aspect of, of the race and not, not really being there for a long time, but just getting out there and driving. Um, and you know, the result is going to be right there, uh, you know, pretty quickly in front of you. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be a different dynamic from what I'm used to in the cup series of the, the two or three day weekends. One more scheduled race for the pro invitational series. And that will be coming this upcoming Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time at North Wilkesboro Speedway. How about that? Revive from the dead. It's not even open to the iRacing public. This is a private event for Pro Invitational Series drivers only. So we'll see how they get around the old fame North Wilkesboro Speedway, Saturday, 3 p.m. on the Fox Family of Networks. Interview time. Colin Garrett, driver of the 26 Toyota for Hunt Garrett Racing. I told you about him in the open, and I'm not going to waste any more time because we talked for over an hour, and I loved every second of it. I hope you will, too. Another driver on the pod this week. Wonderful to welcome on Colin Garrett, driver of the number 26 Toyota for Hunt Garrett Racing. It's honestly kind of weird for me to say that team name because... A lot of people don't know that that team exists. You know what I mean? Like, it's so new. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. And, uh, I'm on a busy schedule. So, <laughs> we were just talking. I was like, so what have you done so far today? Quote, absolutely nothing. That's pretty much every <laughs> single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been pretty boring <laughs> for two months. So, okay. So, besides the fact that you need a haircut, which I saw you tweeted about yesterday, and so do I, honestly. Dude, I don't even want to talk about it. Head. I'm wearing a hat. It's it's bad, man. Like, <laughs> so besides needing a haircut in quarantine, like, what have you been doing? Like, like I know you're bored, but take the people behind the curtain. What has Colin Garrett been doing to to you know have his days be not terrible? I've been playing Call of Duty a lot. <laughs> um. <laughs> been playing Warzone. I've been eye racing some, not as much as I probably should be. Um, was out fishing the other day with a couple of my buddies out on the coast. Uh, but other than that, I mean, hunting a little bit, but I've been staying at home. I've been staying in shape, not as much as my trainer wants me to be. <laughs> so hopefully he doesn't <laughs> listen to this. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been trying to get through this and, you know, as not bored as possible. <laughs> so you mentioned iRacing. That's kind of like been the big thing lately. 
um, since quarantine started. Uh, there's mm-hmm. been drivers that have been super into it and racing every single night, multiple hours a week. And there's some drivers that are kind of just like, yeah, I have it. But I mean, yeah. it's not like a thing that I do all the time. I, I assume that you're one of the drivers that has it, but you're not obsessed with it right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I kind of went through the fad like two years ago, maybe, where I was like, oh, man, I'm racing. And now, like, it's kind of coming huge. And it's just, you know, it's cool. But, you know, I I just don't take it as seriously as maybe other people do. You know, I like I like to use it as a training tool and everything. But when you get into a race and you accidentally move somebody or you move somebody and then they, like, report you and get all mad at you and all this kind of stuff, it's like, chill. Like, yeah. <laughs> we can hit reset here in a minute. Like, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Um, that yeah. That's the thing, too, because, like, there's been some people in the Pro Invitational Series, right, that are getting so bent out of shape and getting disqualified. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's a game. It's fun. It's a joke. But then yeah. you got people like, I mean, to Landon Castle's credit, right, he's practicing, like, five, six hours a day. He gained sponsorship for this. Like, it's yeah. a big deal yeah. for him. Um, but yeah. there's, there's so much of a spectrum between guys that practice all the time and guys that hop on and just do it for fun that it, it, it creates some sort of gray area. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. Like I use it a lot when I go to a new track or I'm going back to a track that I've been at to in a while. Um, helped me a lot. You know, when I ran the truck in Vegas last year, I just went out and, you know, I ran 10, 15 minutes on there and I just kind of, I use it more like for sight maybe. So I know kind of what everything looks like, you know, cause mm-hmm. it has everything down to like the cuts in the pit wall and stuff to where we turn in to go to the garage. Yeah. So like just knowing how it's laid out and what it looks like and, you know, the, stripes and stuff on the track and you know all that kind of stuff the scenes you can see all that that's amazing i love that but you know you're you're driving off hand movement and stuff on there and sight you know so like when you get loose you kind of got to wait for it to like be visually loose or have your force feedback kind of show you where you know when you're actually driving a car you can feel it before you know it's so those are like the two things that people talk about it's like you I racing is as realistic as it gets, but you can't feel it in the seat of your pants. But yeah, I think it was Dale Jr. or somebody that said when they were getting into racing in the Cup Series, they used I racing because, like at a road course, Watkins Glen, for example, the breaking points that they use on I racing translated into real life like a hundred percent accurately. Yeah. So yeah, th- that goes back to what you said. It's like you just take points and then you take them yeah, into real 100%. life. Yeah, hundred percent. I use it every time I go to Watkins Glen. Um, we went to New Jersey. So they don't like have New Jersey yet. I don't know. It's taken them so long. It's huh. been a tech track for like a decade now. Right. So it's like, it's the track, but it doesn't have anything around it. So you're just like driving in this huh. like different realm. <laughs> like it's just, it's like rainbow road. You're like floating. Like, yeah, so, it's super <laughs> weird. So like, you know, in my mind, you know, I'm coming around with a safe turn 10 or whatever at uh, New Jersey and like, it's just an open like whatever and there's like some holographic trees and stuff off in the distance and so i'm like you know like oh maybe it's a trees over there but then you go there in real life it's like oh that's all woods over there like i just had no idea you know so, yeah that's it's funny. weird I've, i imagine like you, your first laps around there you're like oh yeah this place is going to be like super barren no trees at all and then, yeah like out of nowhere <laughs> there's like a huge runoff area that's so funny I was imagining it just being a desolate wasteland and then we get there. It's like, oh my God. So <laughs> that's cool. Well, yeah. um, so that's what we've been doing during quarantine, talking about iRacing. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a little bit tired of it. But I know that um we can see from your shirt, you're a huge Formula One guy and we're friends on Facebook yeah. and you always share 
some old Formula One clips, Rallycross clips. I can always rely on you to bring my news feed some entertainment. Have you been yeah. watching some like old F1 replays or anything during quarantine? Because they've been posting a bunch of stuff too. Dude, I, I watch. I try to watch like every single one. I think it's like every Saturday, or whatever they've been doing it. Yeah, I don't like save it, and you know, so I can go back and watch it. And that's what. So backstory on why I share so much stuff. I normally don't watch it all when I share it. I go back and watch it later. So I'm sharing it for myself, but other people get joy out of it too. So. I got it's you. just it's a double edged sword. Back and watch it later, so yeah, it's like your but, own personal notebook. You're like, oh, gotta yeah, watch exactly. this race. Somebody commented on it. That means I gotta go back. Exactly. So I mean, it just I gives me an excuse to go back, and yeah, I just love it. And I can go back to my profile and just scroll through, and you know, it brings me joy to see a rally car, you know, jumping thirty feet in the air, stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah it's so badass the, the, i mean formula one drivers don't get me wrong they are like the badass the most badass of badasses yeah but rally drivers like i don't know what it's they insane. eat for breakfast lunch and dinner but yeah. they are on another level yeah i mean you think like a lot of f1 drivers go and do rally and stuff like uh Valtteri Botas, who races for mercedes right now he he does yeah. a rally all the time and then kubica uh, did you look it too. back at do what kubica did it too right yeah, so like Kubica, he uh that's kind of why he's in the position he's in because he was going exactly. so funny story or kind of backstory there. Um he had been racing for BMW Sauber and he was gonna be he'd gone to Marinello to talk to Ferrari and he was gonna be Ferrari's driver the next year. And like a month, I think when was it a month before the season or whatever is when he had that rally crash. We didn't see him until last year. Like it's Jeez. insane. Like you think about like what could have been. He could have been like you know the next Formula One driver. Yeah. Here it is. So yeah. Well, because I was watching Drive to Survive season two, and I mean they did a they did a short I think one episode on Williams, and they were talking with yeah. George Russell and Kubica, and they were talking about his crash. So I didn't really know. I knew the 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 backstory a little bit, but I didn't know that much of it. That's interesting. So like it's yeah. it's such a what could have been moment. It, it's really sad when you think about it because you know when he was back in 2009 and stuff you know he's winning races he's winning holes yeah. like he was the next big thing and then just disappeared i don't know if you've seen the pictures of that rally crash but it is yikes that's my that's my homework after we hang up i'll go look it yeah up. You, you gotta go look it up it's it's bad there's a guardrail like through the front of the car it's amazing he's not dead honestly like it's so so but, like the injury was what he lost all movement or like control of one of his wrists is that what it was yeah right hand so if you watch his right hand like when he's walking around it's like he always holds it kind of like right in front of his chest and like mm -hmm. it's it's crazy that he can even drive with it like there's no like muscle or anything like it's just bones it looks like it's weird it's a weird looking amazing deal but like when he goes out and runs f1 car and yeah he finished last every race but like he was within two seconds of everyone else, you know, like that's, yeah. that's in, in itself. And he was beating, uh, or not beating, but, you know, he was fighting with George Russell there. And they're both in a Williams. Like, George Russell's the next like, kid. Like, yeah. It's one thing to be within two seconds of the rest of the field in an F1 race, and then to do yeah. that in a Williams car. Like, yeah, that exactly. is like, an accomplishment. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk bad about Williams because, you know, they were however many world champion constructor and uh drivers but like you know they're obviously not not on top of their game right now so but like you know you gotta look at george russell and robert like what they were able to you know do with the cars you know that's that's what you gotta look at you can't be like oh they finish 19th and 20th every week it's like obviously but you know right it's a different type of deal in formula one I'm, I'm curious about this w with you so and we'll get into your racing career because you actually started 
somewhat late for industry standards yeah. that I think 14 years old, but up until yeah. that point, cause I mean, I I've talked with you, you know, on and off the racetrack about racing. It seems like mm -hmm. formula one is by far and away, like your favorite type of racing series. Did, did you watch that growing up like every weekend with your family? And was that something so, that you had aspirations of? Yeah. So no, actually I'd never watched it growing up. So what? Um, yeah. I never watched it growing up. I was a huge NASCAR fan. My parents didn't even like watch NASCAR either. And, you know, I'm from South Boston, Virginia. We had Jeff right. Ford, and, you know, Jeb was coming up when I was a kid. And, uh, but yeah, like they didn't care. And, uh, it was actually my babysitter when I was over to her family's house and, uh, we would watch NASCAR over there, I guess. I kind of remember that. And, uh, I just always loved it. You know, I was a huge Jeff Gordon fan, had Jeff Gordon, everything. And, uh, I didn't get into formula one until I was 14, maybe 15. I think it was 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was super late, but then so like, like right when you started racing. Yeah. So like, I didn't really like know much about it. You know, when I started racing, I didn't really know anything about racing really either, except for, you know, what I, what my young imagination had like kind of come up with in NASCAR. Right. But, um, once I found out about formula one, I was like, Oh my God, it's like a whole new world. <laughs> like this is way cooler in my opinion. But, um, yeah, so it's just, uh, I feel like it's just, you're so much more on the edge. There's so much technology going on. There's so much going on. You look at like Mercedes, they have 1500 employees all doing separate jobs, innovating all the time to get a thousandth of a second out of a lap. You look at Nico Rosberg back in 2016, you know, he's fighting Lewis Hamilton for the world championship then. And like he needed to beat Lewis by somehow they were within, you know, a thousandth of a second of each other and qualifying and all that kind of stuff. Nico found out that if he stopped biking and running and stuff, that, you know, he's growing his leg muscle so much that if he stopped biking on all that and got his leg muscle down to where, you know, he's losing weight just in his legs, he would gain, I think it was like a hundredth of a second a lap by losing like two kilos or whatever. It like, it's wild. If, yeah. Unreal. Yeah. So like, Oh my goodness. He, that's not going to matter in NASCAR, man. Like they're all the cars no. weigh the same, you know, with the driver and stuff. So, but you know, all the formula one cars, they weigh the same without the driver. So the driver's got to make up for that difference, you know? So like, it's, it's wild. That is crazy. Cause I mean, F1 is the most technologically advanced motorsport that there is. Yeah. Um, and that's why you see so much innovation and technological mm -hmm. advancements for a thousandth of a second, whether it's Lewis versus yeah. Valtteri or whether it's Nico versus Lewis like that. But yeah. I didn't know that story. I didn't know the, the, yeah. the Kubica story that that's cool. Like, so this yeah. is, this is why I want to talk to you about like your F1 fascination, because like you said, you're from South Boston, Elmo, Virginia, more specifically, but yeah. like you're a South Boston, Virginia native and you're yeah. super into formula one. I feel like there's nobody around you that like watches it. Everybody's <laughs> just good old country boys. that watch NASCAR. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I try to talk to Jeb or whoever about it. And he's like, oh, you know, there's four guys or whatever. You know, the, the problem <laughs> is everyone's watched Talladega Nights. So they like try to base Formula One off the dude off there. Yeah. So, Jean Gerald. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So they, they're like, oh, you know, they're all dicks. And so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um. So let's get to, to you starting racing. I kind of tease a little bit, but for industry standards, starting at 14 years old, which is six years ago if i have that right mm -hmm. that is crazy oh, late i mean well <laughs> yeah. it, it is a long time ago when we're thinking about it now but at the same yeah. time to be where you are right now 
-hmm. when you started racing competitively like six years ago, I feel like that's, that's pretty impressive. So how did, take me back to the beginning. Like how did you getting into racing in real life behind the wheel of a race car start? How did that whole thing begin? So I remember our middle school, they started this thing where we couldn't stay. I was in eighth grade and, uh, like when we would get to school we would just like go to class or whatever when we get off Mm -hmm. the bus and uh they started made it was like towards the end of the year and they made it because kids were going off and doing stuff getting in trouble and you know smoking the bathroom that kind of crap and so they made it to where we all had to sit in the gym until class you know it was about to start and they had kind of usher us to class and uh, i remember sitting up there with a bunch of my buddies and i was like man i want to go racing like southpaw or nascar or whatever dropped the age limit to like 14 whatever it was yeah 14 I was like, I'm gonna go racing like this summer, next summer or whatever. And they're like, no, man, like it's not gonna happen. And uh, I had a buddy that I rode the bus with many years ago that he uh, worked at South Boston with uh, Jimmy Wade. He races pure stocks. And uh, I texted him, I was like, hey man, like you know any cars that are for sale or whatever? And he's like, yeah, this one dude, Vic Ingram, uh, got this car for sale. And I was like, all right, cool. And uh, I talked to my dad about it all summer, you know, I was cutting grass and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, he's helping me and I was like, hey, can we go get this car, go at least go look at this car. And I messaged the dude about it. He was like, yeah, 4,500 bucks for it. it was like the car, the trailer, a bunch of extra equipment, extra doors, all this kind of stuff. It was a Nissan 240SX. And uh, dad was like, I'm not spending 4,500 bucks on this thing. And mom mm-hmm. finally was like, look, just, just go look at it. Cause I grew up riding four wheelers and stuff. And there's a, a AMA track right down the road from us. He would never mm-hmm. take me there either. Like it was so um, <laughs> mom finally convinced him to just go look at the car and we go look at it. And we ended up getting it. And uh, after he said, I'm going to spend 4,500 bucks. Little did he know we'd be here. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so like spent a lot more, but he, uh, yeah. he finally got it and we looked at it and, you know, I took it to A&E race cars here in South Boston. That was the only like race car people we knew at the time. And, uh, you know, they looked at it they're like, man, this roll cage is, rough and when you know when i got it it was like man it's a race car like no it's cool and you know they, they're like this this is not gonna be good at all like if, if you rack your debt pretty much so um i told one of our neighbors who was actually my babysitter back to a little bit ago my babysitter's brother uh-huh. um he worked for peyton sellers here and i called him i was like hey man like can you give me peyton's number because apparently they did work on this car you know a long time ago or whatever and uh so anyway we went to Peyton's shop. They built the coil cage in it. Pretty much made it like a late model style. It was hands down the nicest beer stock out there. And uh, we rolled out, and I'm terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I'd never been in a car before or anything. And uh, throughout the season, you know, I gained maybe like half a second, something like that, throughout the season. I'm like, how? I'm not this bad. Like I feel like you know, <laughs> like I feel right. like I can do a lot more. And finally, uh, one of the dudes who was like dominating pure stock that year, we asked him if he could drive the car and he went and drove it. And he was like, this thing's terrible. And I ended up getting a big engine in it. And that thing was terrible too. So we're like, what's going on? Cause like the engine's nice. Everything's nice. Finally, the CPU was apparently out of like some minivan or something. <laughs> so <laughs> it was giving me like zero power. And, uh, Oof. the dudes who drove the car, actually, they, uh, they lent me, a a computer that may or may not have been legal and uh i finished like top four of my first race hey. back with that computer so yeah i was like oh man so maybe i can drive so and then you know we moved up the limited late models for a year ran that for a year and then um 
the next year I want to move up the late model stock because I just didn't want to stay in limiteds, you know, I want to move up. And Peyton and HC sellers, they convinced my dad to, you know, put me in a limited another year. I was so mad. And, uh, but they're like, look, we'll run some late model stuff throughout the year too. And uh, we ended up, you know, breaking track record, winning the championship, got like the most wins, polls, all that laps led, I think all that stuff. And uh, ended up winning my first late model stock race that year too. So, you know, it was cool. And then, yeah. So yeah. And then you met me in the next year. So that's right. Yeah. So I, I want to get to all those specific, I guess, years and plateaus that you got to, because I think I yeah. wrote them all down. So yeah. rookie of the year in 2016 and pure stocks, right? Yeah. And then you, you moved up to limited late models and you won the title, the track title in 2017. Yeah. So is, is that the time frame that we're talking? Yeah. 2015 was the year in pure stocks. 2016 was okay. the limited late model rookie of the year deal. So got it. Yeah. And then 2017 was the championship. So, okay. So take me, take me back there when you were, you know, not even 18 years old or something like that. Like what, mm -hmm. what were your memories of that when, when you wanted to move up and then you got, you got convinced to stay down and you were pissed off and then you went, you wound up winning a lot that year. I mean, what, what were your yeah. memories of that year in general? Like, were you, were you happy? Were you content? Were you looking at the people above you and saying, damn, I should be there? Yeah. So Back to 2015, actually, uh, the Danny Hamlin Short Track Showdown. You remember that? They, uh, of course I do. Yeah, so they were at South Boston. It was like my first pure stock year, and obviously I was with sellers and everybody, and so I went to help uh, Hermie Sadler. He was like my car for the weekend that I was working on. And uh, I remember going around, and I remember seeing people like Kaz Grala and stuff like that, and people like Dalton Sargent was there. And, you know, they were like the K&N guys at that point. They were right, like, you know, right. my heroes. <laughs> So walking up, it was like, oh my God, you know, Casgrall or whatever, going up and meeting Chase Elliott and all that kind of stuff. I can walk by these people and not even like acknowledge them now, you know, not being mean, yeah. but it's just like, you know, it is what it is now. It's different. But before, do what? I said it's, it's just different now. Yeah, exactly. It's like then I was like in the midst of it and, you know, everything was so cool. So then when I got to 2017, I was running the, there's Hamilton, it's coming up and bothering me. Um, and so in 2017, that was really the changing point of my year because I started going down to Charlotte like a lot more, um, even if it was just parts runs and stuff. But, you know, I was just meeting a lot more people. I was being at the track more. I raced mm -hmm. like 33 races that year, something like that, like an insane amount of races for a late model, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I started just meeting a lot more people that year. And going to South Boston, you know, I was winning and people were kind of putting me on their radar. Just, you know, it's a little bit late on, but, you know, just a little bit more. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was a long year. I do remember that because I didn't get my first win. I dominated the first race. Amber Balkan was in that race and a couple other Oof. people I can't remember. But, yeah, so it was, she tore off my right side of my car. It was a brand <laughs> new late model, too, brand new. I was so mad, tore off the side of the car. And uh, I remember just going into turn three on a restart. She was on my outside. Don't get me wrong. She's a fast race car driver. She's just not yeah. maybe the best in race smarts. And uh, we go off into three. And I remember just kind of looking to my right and seeing her come down. I was like, she knows I'm here, right? And just <laughs> taking me out. <laughs> Like, oh god. <laughs> she did, she knew you were there. She didn't care. Yeah, yeah. And then me and my crew chief actually from my rookie year in Limited Late Model, we ended up wrecking each other <laughs> fighting for the lead. It was just like such oh, a man. shit show of a first race. And uh 
after I led like the whole thing, we ended up like ninth and I spun out on the last lap just trying to, you know, I was young, trying to get everything out of it. And I spun out on my last lap. I was running fifth and I ended ninth. Well, little did I know it would come down to the last race that year to four point three points. It would come down to three points. And there were three drivers within those three points. It was like, if I hadn't spun out that first race in the last lap, I, I would have already won the championship. But it's like, yeah, it's just looking at that. You know, I was young and stuff. Now, you know, I'm a lot more methodical with everything. But like looking back, it's like, oh my god, like that was that was dumb. <laughs> so, it's <but, laughs> a lot of information yeah. to digest through. It's and it's crazy too because all that stuff happened three years ago. You know? Yeah, yeah, that is kind of wild. So. It all happened yeah. very quickly. So, so that yeah. was kind of up until 2017 or so, and then yeah. you move up to to what was then known as K and M Pro Series East in 2018. I remember you, you missed the first two races, but then you ran the next 12 to finish off the season in the number 18 yeah. car. That's what that was for Sam Hunt, obviously, and we'll get to him. Yeah. I remember Langley. That was your debut. Um, yeah. And I remember coming in. I was like. All right, who's this Colin Garrett kid? Like, don't really know too much about him. Okay, he's done some right. done some late model stuff, you know, from South Boston, Langley before, whatever. And you had a really good race, and that was your debut. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, talking to Sam and talking to you after the race, and you guys just seemed like really cool, genuine people. And I was like, yeah. w where have these people been? Like, like what is going on? So that right. was a that was a heck of a debut for you as a driver to come in. So like you said, at that point, you were still kind of looking at K&N as like a huge stepping stone and some of your like yeah. heroes are racing in that series. It must have been crazier for you to come in cold turkey pretty much and, and show yeah. the guys that you belong there. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when like even like Tyler Ingram. So back to my peer stock year, I went with uh, Stacy Pereer to uh, Southern National for a car steward race. You know, I still knew like literally nothing about racing. Other than, you know, South Boston, Lee Pulliam, Peyton Sellers, all those guys. Well, Tyler Ankrum was parked right next to us. You know, Tyler was my age, or is my, I think he's even younger, which is kind of scary. But, you, uh, younger, you know, yeah. he was like, oh, my God, man, he's running late mile stock. Like, this is so cool. And, I, you know, I went up and shook his hand. I was like, oh, man, like, good job tonight and stuff like that. Now, like, that's probably the most embarrassing thing. But uh, <laughs> now it's like we send each other memes and so stuff. It's like, whatever, you know. But. Yeah, going in that first race, it's like, oh, my God, like, Tyler Dipple was there, Tyler Ankrum, all those guys, like, DGR Crosley, David Gillen, you know, it's like, oh, my God, like, this is, good. This is terrifying. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we go out, and I think I was running, like, third most of the race. I qualified terribly. I locked up going into one, almost ended up in NASA across the street. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sam, Sam and all the guys, none of us had worked together before. That was our first race, first crew chief, car chief. None, none of those guys had even worked with each other. And uh, so, yeah, we're coming to this, and all the guys are like, oh, my God, like, who's this kid? He's just blowing the wheels off of it, running third, you know, because everyone's riding. They come with the radio, like, you riding, Colin? I'm like, yeah, I'm riding. And they're like, okay. Because <laughs> they expect us to just <laughs> drop like a rock when the halfway break came. And, uh, yeah, so we're still running third. Halfway break comes, and they're like, all right, well, here we go. We go back out, and, you know, we didn't drop. I think we actually got in the second there, and they're like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> this kid might be good. And uh, Legit. Yeah, I think we ended up like six, whatever, on the final restart. And I adore my buddy Connor Hall. I was just at his house for a few days out in uh, Hampton, Virginia, right next to Langley. And uh, mm -hmm. it was his K&N debut at the same time, too. And mm -hmm. I just remember that final restart, 
I'd been up there, you know, all night. And I wanted we were running like you know, eighth or whatever, seventh. And I wanted to get six, and you know, he was right above me. I just went in there, just pile trophy, and, then <laughs> off. and we laugh about it now, but it was so funny. But yeah, I finished six. He finished seventh or whatever. So yeah, just two Virginia been... boys making their debuts, huh? Exactly. Yeah. And then, Those yeah, so we ended times. up, the reason why we ran the whole season was he was going to South Boston two weeks later with uh, Ted Marsh and them. And I was mm. like, man, my buddy's running South Boston. And, like, I wasn't supposed to run South Boston. The next one I was supposed to run was Iowa. And I was like, I don't want my buddy to run it. And me not, you know, it's my hometown right. track and stuff. <laughs> so I convinced my dad to do it. And uh, I was just talking about South Boston. I didn't care about the rest of the point, you know, because I was like, all right, we're going to go to Iowa and just stick to the plan. But, you know, I wanted to run South Boston. And uh, Dad finally, you know, he's like, all right, sure. He's like, we're, we're ready to do, like, the rest of them. I was like, what do you mean? Because I was committed to running up at Dominion Raceway for the late ball championship. He was like, mm-hmm. and we had already, I think we were leading it at that point. And uh, he was like, no, we'll do the rest of them. I was like, all right. <laughs> so, you know, then Cold we're me. getting cars ready for Memphis and stuff. So, yeah, like, it, it happened very quickly. But. So Langley was your debut, and it was the first time that, like you said, that you worked with Sam, mm-hmm. the you, you the crew chief that you were with at that time. You worked with him, the pit crew, everything. Take me back to your first time meeting with Sam, because people that don't know about Sam, he was a driver before he yeah. got into ownership. Yeah. So did you have pre- previous interactions with him on the racetrack? How did you guys get hooked up in the first place? Yeah, so I never met him uh, really before. I remember, so 2016 again, when I was running limited late models, two can in cars showed up at the shop and I was like, Oh my God. Cause you know, I'm still like a huge Dalton Sergeant and all them fans. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so two can in cars roll up in the shop. I'm like, Oh my God. Like these are basically cup cars. <laughs> like, so I yeah. look at them like, man, these, these are awesome. And uh, I remember I was sitting in my college algebra class in 11th grade. Oh God, that's terrifying. 11th grade. That still seems like super late to be like geeking out over people. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I was sending, I remember like DMing Sam or whatever, because, you know, he was still with, uh, he was with Seller that Peyton had run like a race or so with him and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, I texted him. I was like, hey, man, you know, like I, I want to run, I think it was Thompson the next year. I want to run Thompson and all this kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, cool. Like we, we talk about it, whatever. And, um, you know, he's giving me prices and all that kind of stuff. And nothing happened the next year. Twenty seventeen, yeah, nothing happened. What really scared me is I don't want to fill out the whole. Uh, you have to fill out your like how you like are qualified to do this. So you have to put in like different races where you finished different contacts. That like terrified me. I was like, man, I'm only run like limited. Like <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna be able to run it. Yeah. But now I could have put like pure stock on there and it probably would have improved. But like, uh, so I was terrified of that. And then you know, it's just you know when he was at the shop some, he was running a couple of races and. Uh, you know, I met with them a little bit, but, you know, we still didn't really know each other until that Langley race. And uh, that was kind of when we first, you know, got really together. And now, you know, we're basically brothers, you know, we <laughs> text right. all the time and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. But, so before we skip ahead to 2019 and now 2020, let, let's stick on Sam for a little bit. I know yeah. that you were, you were actually down at the shop a couple of days ago mm-hmm. um, down in North Carolina. He did a a great job making that place look brand new, spick and span. Yeah. I mean, you got to give your team owner some props because he, he worked his butt off to make that place look good. <laughs> I, I went in there. I was like, I would have done that differently, you know, but just messing with him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
uh, yeah, I mean, he did a crazy good job. So that shop was uh, Victor o- just drop the key. Uh, Victor that o- was Bica Victor Obica's shop. shop. That's right. Yeah, that was a big yikes. We walked in there back in December, and he hadn't been in there in forever. And, like, we know all know the Victor Obica story. Like, he owed oh, rent. Yes. Like, it, it was terrible. And so we walk into the shop. You know, he bought out BK Racing somehow. And you walked into this place. It's a combined. It's probably about 9,000 square feet with both sides of the shop. There are race cars like three, four high, just stacked. (laughs) Unreal. I mean, everywhere. There's just crap everywhere. And like, it just looks like, like they just bought out. It is what they did. They just bought out BK and threw everything in there. And we're like, oh, there we go. We might go run cup sometime. It's like, wow. It's basically what they did. Yeah. You remember they were supposed to run the Daytona 500. And then like, like the day before they like, Cancel like, oh, we're not coming. They it's basically like, just ghosted everybody. They're like, yeah, we're not yeah. going to come. And so <laughs> that was the, it. I saw the car that was supposed to run. That thing wasn't even like close to being together. Like, <laughs> it looked like it just come from the body shop. Like, the uh, the chassis was brand new, painted, brand new. I don't know whose chassis it was. It wasn't a Gibbs or anybody. Who knows? And whoever hung the body, I don't know who it was. But it was kind of like the nicest car in there. You know, it was the new Camry body style. And Sam and I, you know, we're just trying to get crap out of this place. And we hadn't determined if we were going to move in there or not. We're still looking around. But it's like, well, let's see if we can salvage anything out of this stuff. Because, I mean, like, door foam, stuff like that, you know, just unnecessary. Stuff you don't need is, like, brand new. and uh, Or stuff that you need that you don't need, like, brand new. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're like, hey, man, can we get this car? Like, the cars, they're worth, like, 50 bucks, honestly. Like, they're scrap metal. Because to put, you would have to put in, like, minimum $25,000 worth of updates and stuff into them because you got to no, get all Sam the... sent me some pictures I was texting him earlier this week and he showed yeah. me some pit like it was yeah. just old BK racing like Dr. Pepper hoods everywhere Dude, scrap metal Jeff. everywhere I texted Jeb I was like do you want one of these because it was still like three of his cars I was like do you want one of these if I can get it for like 50 bucks and he was like I'll give you 20 <laughs> <laughs> that's how much it's worth exactly yeah it's like dude it's so bad uh, but yeah, we offered him for that car. We offered him, I think, 500 bucks for the brand new cup car. And we we're going to use it as a uh, show car, you know, because you, know, you can have whatever as a show car. And, uh, but it was the nicest looking one that you could, you know, relatively use. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like 20K. And we're like, 20K? <laughs> like, That's a little bit in- increased. <laughs> we can go buy a new Xfinity or not a new one, but, you know, a decent Xfinity car for 20K. And, yeah. Uh, He's like, yeah, yeah, but they were built with a Romer arm. It's like, all these cars built with a Romer arm, man. Like, so anyway, just <laughs> skip on forth. And uh, Sam, I guess he, I can't remember where I was, but he committed to that side of the shop, <clears throat> just to one side, because the other side was rough. There's a big hole in the wall that they had cut out with like a Sawzall. And uh, so. Why? It, like what? To make it one big shop, you know? So, oh, um, so yeah. So it was right before Daytona. I left for Speed Weeks. That's where I was. I was down in Speed Weeks racing, running the Super. And uh, our film guy, Dylan Gwaltney and Sam, they spent, you know, the two weeks before they got down there pushing all the cars back into the uh, other side of the shop. And the other side of the shop was like 10 high by the time they were done with it with all the cars and got that other side. But, I mean, it was just it's disgusting. And, you know, Sam finally, you know, he just 
he put in a lot of work in that place. I mean, he, he did. We uh, we pressure washed it like the first day we got it. Me and Connor, our main mechanic, and uh, Sam, we pressure washed it. Me and Connor were running the squeegees, and we got done. It was like, it doesn't even look like we did anything. <laughs> so, Dude, that place was disgusting. It was so bad. And uh, the floors were just heinous. Dude, if he's still looking at cracks, like we pressure washed out the cracks, and the cracks are just still it's bad. But we've. Uh, I don't want to say we, but, you know, Sam put in a lot of work. I've done some. Sam, you know, he, we all went home during this whole uh, coronavirus deal. So Sam was just down there by himself and, you know, doing his own thing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with him and really kind of proud of him how far he's come and been able to do it. Because the only thing we really did together was the office. You know, the office looks really nice, but he did that whole shop area by himself. And it, it's nice. Yeah. So. That's what I was asking him. I was like, so who was down there helping you? He was like, no one. It was it was just me. I yeah. was like, are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah. it, it looks really, really good. I think he tweeted out some pictures. So if yeah. you guys listening are interested, like, go look at them. But I, I don't know if it's before and after, but let's just say the before pictures, they look like, it looked like an abandoned race shop. Like you would think of North Wilkesboro being an abandoned race track. Yeah, like, it's, it's not pretty. It's it's bad. I mean, all these cars, like I said, they have twenty five thousand dollars worth of updates. You got to go and take it to a chassis shop. I don't want to say probably Seriously. twenty, but you got to go get all the chassis updates done to it. Then you got to get the body cut off because they're all the old steel bodies. Then you got to get the uh, new body put on, which is you know fifteen thousand dollars minimum. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. And then you got to build the car essentially because there's just bare chassis. So yeah, it, it was wild. wild. I don't know where those so cars ended up. I have no idea. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, they're they're not worth anything. Probably anyway. scrap guard, honestly. That's that's what I imagine. Yeah. So but. well he's got the shop all fixed up now. Um and so that's now. But mm -hmm. from twenty eighteen when you made your debut Langley until now, there's a lot that went on in between. So we, we mentioned twenty eighteen ran twelve of fourteen K and N races. And 2019 was was a pretty big year for you on paper. Mm -hmm. Um you unfortunately had some bad luck on track in K and N because I remember like you guys had a lot of good speed. I think one that sticks out to me is maybe Bristol. I mm -hmm. mean, you guys had like solid speed, but you got wrecked, I think, pretty early in that race. Yeah. Um, and you just you had some run ins with other people. Was it last year or was it it had to have been last year, I guess, at South Boston. That was because we were texting about this the other day, how mm -hmm. we set this up. So <laughs> that was when uh, the rain delay happened. So there were twin 100s. Yeah. And the first race, the first race went. Um, and you got wrecked by Haley Deegan that race. Was that right? Yeah. It's beginning of lap 14 of the second race. Yeah. Okay. Right. Second race. So, yeah. so the first race happens, you get wrecked at the beginning of the second race. Um, and your car is totaled, like absolutely junk. Yeah. Sam just sent and, me a picture of that a year ago today. That's, that's bad Yeah. when it was stripped. And then, so then the rain comes, uh, the second race has to be finished the next day. And the picture that I texted you is that you were in the six car for Rev Racing, filling in for your boy Ruben Garcia Jr. Never missed he the lap flew of the race, Mexico. That's right. That's right. So you finished the race for Ruben Garcia Jr. But I feel like that was kind of a microcosm of your season, mm -hmm. like having a good race at your home track. Speed is in the car. Got wrecked by something that's not your own fault, and then you wound up being in another car the next race because you just don't stop. You keep going. All right. So. That year was was a big year for you on track because you had some success in K&N on paper again, but the results didn't translate. And then you had some truck and Xfinity Series starts. You, you raced for MBM, you raced for Nice. I feel like last year was the year that 
people in the NASCAR realm because people on like, you know, the late model scene and the short track realm, they know about Colin Garrett. Yeah. I feel like last year was the year that the NASCAR fan base got introduced to you. Do you think that that was kind of like a turning point for you in terms of last year? Yeah, hundred percent. I'd say it started off at New Smyrna at speed weeks when we, uh, I'd run in a super like every night, you know, and uh, been running like fourth and third every night in the super is like, so my confidence was like super high. And right. uh, then we get in the K&N car. And of course my confidence is like dumb high when I get in the K&N car, you know, cause like, man, I've already been in these cars, you know, it's simple. And, Easy. you know, we'd been like top of the board uh, like all, all day. And then uh, we ended up didn't make a mock run last practice and all the other guys made mock runs and, you know, obviously qualifying got rained out, but, you know, we shifted to the front there at the beginning and just went. And, uh, you know, we had some incidents that obviously didn't go our way there. But, um, yep. yeah, so – but, yeah, and then, you know, that was that was kind of about her. But um, I was like, man, our car looked good this year because we'd moved to Rhett Jones Racing. So that's another thing a lot of people don't know. We never had a home until now. This is our first, like, real shop. That's right. So, you guys had an alliance with them. Yeah, so we went from – Danville, Virginia, which is, you know, 30 minutes down the road here from South Boston. We went from Sellers Racing to the back corner of Robert Yates Racing Engines, who makes our engines. <laughs> we went to the back corner of there. We had 1,000 square feet, maybe. <laughs> like, we had our two cars just crammed in the corner. And uh, their machine shop was right beside it. And like, it, dude, it was so bad. Our caller wasn't even in North Carolina. It was back up in Virginia. It was travel back and forth because we didn't have any room for it there. And uh, then we went to the Bassets because that's when I didn't know if I was going to have a ride. We didn't have any money to run the 2019 season yet. And uh, so Sam took all his stuff up to the Bassets. And they didn't have their big shop because it burnt down a couple years ago. So they're in this tiny little shop. With their like eleven D seven K and N cars. Now they're trying to go Xfinity racing <laughs> with those cars. And we got Sam's cars in there. It was so bad. Like when I got the go ahead, I was going to New Samurda. I walked in there and like you couldn't walk in there, dude. It was just it was terrible. I remember taking a fuel cell out of a car. No, sorry, I was taking a spoiler off a car. And I like had to climb through a car, like through its windows to get like to the back. Cause I couldn't like crawl over it. That's how crowded it was. Yeah, wow. it was bad. And then, uh, so we ran New Smyrna out of that shop. And then the New Smyrna car that waxed everybody is funny because that ended up at off axis paint. <laughs> and so it was in the back corner of off axis paint. And that's where we're working on it from. And, this car's uh, been everywhere. Yeah. Oh, dude, that car's been everywhere. And uh, so we were working on it in the back of off axis. And I loved that because all the kids would come in, you know, like Ty Gibbs and all those guys would go in there and be like, that's the car that was like dominating the field at New Smyrna is sitting here in the <laughs> back. You know, they come from, you know, DGR or whatever. They got this huge shop. We're just like in the back of a helmet paint shop. <laughs> yep. So and then, uh, then we finally moved everything to Rhett Jones, I think by bristol it was um mm -hmm. yeah bristol we ran for uh or out of rat and we were there all year and then towards the end of the year you know we moved to brian kozlowski's kind of back and forth with, we were still kind of at rats and then we we're kind of like look man we, we need a shop like because everyone kind of had an angle on us or not angle but just kind of an edge like hey it wasn't sustainable yeah it's like we're doing this for you. So you got to do this for us. And it's like, right. Yeah. We didn't want to have to deal with that anymore. You know, it's just like, 
Somebody always had something over you. Exactly. Guys. Yeah. It's just like they, we always could like, or they always like, we felt obligated to let them borrow stuff, you know, like, yeah. Sam got this brand new, uh, fuel nozzle practice fuel nozzle thing. And like the amount of times that, been, that thing's been borrowed and that thing's like 1500 bucks. <laughs> and like, you know, that the amount of times that thing's been borrowed and stuff, like, it's just, it's wild. But so we finally like, look, we just need a home that's like ours where we can, if we don't want anyone in there. If we want to kick people out, you know, we can kick people out. If we want our music playing as loud as we want. We can have our music playing, you know, it's just like that yeah. kind of deal. So it's not big by any means, like 4,000 square feet. It's not, we probably need one twice as high as that, but you know, it, it's good for now. So to start for sure. And, and like yeah. we said, it, it looks really nice. Yeah. So from where you guys have been to where you are now, I think that's a, yeah. a really market improvement. Yeah. Um, so those couple years, I know that the the truck and Xfinity starts, they were kind of like on the side of things because we know that you're like focused on the supers right. and your relationship with Sam and everything. Um, but just curiosity wise, you know, because up until this point, you, you've won races in supers and on the short track level, you've raced up front in K&N. And then you get into these cars that frankly are, are not race winning capable cars mm -hmm. by any means. So, I mean, going into the races, you knew that, but once you stepped away from that, what did you learn about the competition on those higher levels of NASCAR and trucks and Xfinity that you maybe didn't know looking from the outside in? Like, did you learn anything specifically? You're just like, okay, I know that I'm not going to win the race in this car or this truck, but these guys are pretty damn good. Yeah. So Richmond, when I ran for MBM, um, I was kicking and screaming the whole way there. I did. I did not want to do that at all. And, you know, my driver coach at the time and my dad, you know, they're kind of like making my master plan for me. And they're like, you know, we're going to run a couple of races here and we'll be able to, you know, go to RCR, whoever, you know, eventually. And I'd be like, Hey, look, I've already ran five Xfinity races. You know, let's go to Martinsville or something. And uh, so I was, I did not want to do that at all. Cause you know, like you just said, I've been running competitively, <laughs> like everything. And I'm looking at this car that right. runs like 28th every week. It's like, Oh, it's a big God. change. Yeah. And I got there and uh Frank Denny, who's uh my crew chief and uh driver coach and everybody, he was actually my crew chief when we won the championship here at South Boston. Um he was the spotter for Michael McDowell last year. And I hung out with him at Martinsville, which was like two weeks before that or whatever. And I met this guy, his name is Eric Penza, and uh he was the interior guy for uh McDowell and them there. He ended up getting fired or whatever, and uh, like the next week, and he ended up at MDM on my team, and so it was like, oh man, like you know, it was kind of my buddy on the team, and uh, yeah, my crew chief for it was my crew chief from 2018 in K&N, and my crew chief for the new Smyrna 2019 K&N race. Who was that? Uh, Clinton Cram. Okay, so, that's what I thought. Yeah, so you know, I had those people that I could kind of lean on, but there was a bunch of people who I had no idea who they were. I had. I just had no idea what was going on. You know, yeah. it was my first fish out of water. Almost. Yeah. And it was like, I get into this car and it's like, not the greatest looking thing I've ever driven. And, uh, <laughs> we get out there and, you know, we're like, I think we're like 21st in practice. And it was like, I guess that's all right for what we're in, you know? And, uh, we go out and re-race and we ran pretty decent. And I remember at one point I passed like the whole field on the house. I got up to at least 15. Like I was just, <laughs> falling on the outside because i finally figured out like the car i'd run richmond the week before in the super and mm -hmm. i was like man this is awesome and uh when the caution came out it was when noah gregson spun and uh frank comes over the radio he was like 
all right, bud, good job. We're going to have to drop to the rear here because you are three laps down. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, oh, man. That's funny. It was the most, like, kick in the nuts ever because I just passed, like, everybody. I was like, hell yeah, dude. And now, like, uh, back to the rear. You're feeling like on top of the world. You're like, damn, I, I, maybe I belong here. He's like, all right, bud, three down. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and what happened, we were, why we were three down, we probably would have only been one down the pit crew or the tire guy or whatever marked the tires wrong. So my rights were on my left and left were on the right. The entirety of the second stage. And I remember going out and I was like, this thing can't actually be worse than it already was. (laughs) Like it was so (laughs) bad. And, uh, uh, my crew chief comes over the radio about 15 laps in. He's like, Hey bud, we might have an issue. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) what? He was like, my tires seem to be on the wrong side. And I, he said, I didn't say a word. I don't remember that, but he said, I just didn't say a word. I was just quiet. I was so mad, dude. But it ended up being a decent race. I learned a lot. You know, I just learned kind of the flow of everything. And then uh, I think it helped me a lot when I got to the trucks at Vegas and stuff. And You know, Vegas, we had clutch issues. I couldn't get off pit road at all. Every time I'd throw it in gear, it would just stall. And uh, so that was terrible. But, you know, we had we had decent speed there. But, um, yeah, so – and I think later that year, it was I feel like it was pretty late in the calendar year at least, you and Sam announce your big plan to start anew and a new team. Mm-hmm. What went into that decision? And then the, the decision initially to involve the fans as well, kind of like a crowdsourcing type deal. Can you kind of take me back there? What went into all of that that we don't really know from the outside? Yeah, so, man, I don't know. There was so much going on at that time because, you know, we were still came in racing. Um, I was late mile stock racing at that point too, because I was seeing all the big shows in late mile stock at the end of the year. And so uh, I don't even really know how we ended up Xfinity racing, honestly. Like Sam just came to dad with the idea. I was like, all right, we're going to Texas or whatever. It was like, all right. <laughs> so you're like, what? Yeah. So, uh, cause that was the original plan was go to Texas. Um, I can't remember what all went into that though. You know, we had the idea to do the crowdfunding thing because um, Lisa Kips Brown, our kind of marketing strategist or whatever, um, she, you know, she was like, well, NASCAR is like their fan base isn't really dwindling, but like the fans aren't really engaged in anything anymore. You know, like you watch it on TV for a little bit and you know, all the big drivers, you know, Jeff Gordon, all, everyone's Dale Jr. Dale Jr. is probably the biggest one retired and everyone that people don't really have like someone to pull for, you know, like Kevin right. Harvick's probably going to retire here soon. Clint Boyd is probably retiring here soon. Like it's just Kurt Busch, yeah, yep. Jimmy Johnson. You think all these people, it's like <clears throat> the fans need somebody to pull for. And if it's somebody that can like, they can kind of relate to <clears throat> and kind of be from, you know, a more family background down here in South Boston and that kind of stuff. And they can kind of be a part of the team, you know, it doesn't matter like donate 10 bucks or whatever, you know, send you like a sticker or hat or something. Um, they were a part of the team, man. Like they had a part of us getting to the track. So that was really right. cool. And then uh, obviously we we're helping a bunch of veteran owned companies too, at the same time um, to where we would put, you know, veteran owned companies on the car, um, I think we had Kraken Skulls and Wooby Hoodie on the car for uh, home. Great names. So, right? Yeah. So, Wooby Hoodie, that's, you know, the Wooby is a uh, military quilt blanket. And so, he made a uh, hoodie basically out of it. It's the most comfortable thing ever. I got like five of them. I wear those things like everywhere. But, Gotta uh, try one on. Yeah, dude. I love them. And then Kraken Skulls was like brutal because, you know, it's a skull with like an octopus coming off my head. I was like, what is this? But it's uh, beard oil and stuff. <laughs> So the company's owned by a former Green Beret okay. and stuff. He's got stuff to do with Racing for Heroes, our uh, veteran nonprofit cool. that we deal with out here. 
So, uh, but yeah, he was with us down there in Homestead. He was super excited about it. And then, uh, obviously, at uh, Daytona, we had the Jewelry Republic, which is another. He was a Marine, Marine vet, and, uh, you know, he makes jewelry and stuff. And then the Rosie Network, which is she is a Navy SEAL's wife, and her dad, I think, was a Navy SEAL, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, or at least just in the Navy. And um, she does stuff for veterans who are like veteran entrepreneurs where, you know, anyone can say they're a veteran, but if you're actually, if Rosie Network goes into it and like, all right, are you actually a veteran? And they'll like certify that it's a veteran owned company, you know, cause like whoever can be, I can be like, yes, yeah, a veteran owned company, but you know, it's not. So if they certify that it's a veteran owned company and it's basically like, what is that? Kelly's, what is that? Uh, what is that? Uh, thing where you go and like get like a lawn service or something um god what is that? i don't know what you're talking about there's i can't remember what it is it's like some social media thing where you can go on there like who's like the best lawn care service oh, oh, in our area? Oh, oh um i don't know the name of it but i know what you're talking yeah. about i've seen commercials <clears throat> yeah it's like kelly's list or something like that anyway okay um so rosie's list is basically that um nice yeah so that that's cool and um pretty much every so where did like the where did sorry to cut you off where did no, all the like like the passion and the the love admiration for all these military veteran nonprofits come from yeah. was this a you thing a sam thing joint um yeah so my dad kind of really got it like, into it where like we're like all right this is what we're doing um you know because as a kid you know you i want like dupont and like exalt on my car and stuff but like that, that's not happening so you know you we had to come at it as kind of a different angle and um both my brothers are both in the army one of them he's up in dc working somewhere i don't know if he's working up there um but then the other one he's in the army then the other one's in the army working in um uh, or he's in korea he's deployed in korea right now he's an apache pilot um attack helicopter um mm -hmm. so both my brothers are in it i have three grandfathers one's a step obviously and uh two of them are in the navy Maybe one was the Marines and then um, one was in the army. So like our whole family. This is a family are, thing yeah. through and through. Yeah. So I remember like growing up, that's there's cool. pictures of me like playing army and stuff as a kid and all that kind of stuff. So that's cool. Yeah. But very so. cool. And you mentioned racing for heroes. I think um, if, if anybody were to like Google your name or your car, you'd probably see the fire seat of the car with mm -hmm. racing for heroes on it, which you told us about that yeah. and propel GPS. Yeah. I remember you told me about that sponsor at Watkins Glen, mm -hmm. and I want you to tell um, everybody listening a little bit about it because I think it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, so we haven't done a lot with Propel. There, uh, obviously, with everything going on, it hasn't been um, you know, as big of a deal right now. But um, Propel was a company we found 2017, 17, uh, 2017. And uh, it's a guy named Rick Bertner. He was out of Reston, Virginia. And uh, he started this company. I think he might have took it over and bought it from these people. They were terrible. He had no idea what they were doing working with it. And uh, Like Victor Obica. And uh, so Rick, he uh, he kind of built it up. To, he'd taken a few companies and like just built them up really high and sold them for a lot of money, you know. And so that was kind of like his idea with Propel. And then now he's like kind of more he's doing it. You know, he's hoping to be bought out. But he's like, man, this could actually be kind of big. So what they do is, you know, it's like Verizon, I think, has the same thing. AT&T, all of like the cellular companies do this. But it's like a device that you put on like a tractor trailer or a food truck or, you know, a box truck, stuff like that. And you can um, 
like track everything. You can see the temperature inside the truck. You can see the speed. You can see where it's at. Yeah. You can see what doors are open, how long they were open, everything. Like, I think that's pretty yeah. Cool. So if you have like a meat truck, so this is like kind of dark right here, but think like a terrorist attack. If he just went to a food truck or whatever and just like virused up a whole bunch of meat or whatever, like he could wipe off, you know, like an entire city easily. And so that's kind of how it is. Like they can see, you know, at 1 a.m. or whatever, the truck door was open for five minutes or however long, you know. So they can call the driver and be like, hey, man, what's going on? Like, why is your door open? And that kind of deal. So yeah. they, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Company vehicles, like, you know, a bunch of construction trucks and stuff, you know, if they're driving around and actually funny story with one of them, they were monitoring and like each employer gets an iPad so they can kind of like to see what all is going on. And um, mm-hmm. Propel and Propel never like tells the company like what's going on, you know, cause that's not their deal. But this one thing was like flashing on their screen. This truck had been running for like 72 hours. I at, remember this story. Idle. Yep. They've been running at idle for 72 hours. <laughs> And they call the company and they never do this. They're like, Hey man, like what? Can you probably make sure this dude's okay? Like make sure he's not like dead in a ditch or something. And uh, they called the dude and they're like, Hey man, why is your truck sitting here? I don't, he's like, Oh man, I was fixing it at work on Friday or whatever. <laughs> and I had to let it run for like 10 minutes to make sure, you know, everything was cool with it. And he left for the weekend. <laughs> and to just turn forgot. It off. Yeah. And just forgot. So the truck's been just idling for like 72 hours. My so. God. Yeah, and then, you know... Probably didn't run out of fuel. Yeah, like, seriously, but, uh, I mean, a lot of these construction trucks just have, like, huge tanks, but, um, you know, then they had another program, um, funny story, Ralph Yates was actually supposed to, uh, or not Ralph Yates, what is it? Jack, what was it? Ralph Fenway. Ralph Fenway, yeah. Um, They were originally partnered up with Propel, and uh, the drivers ended up just, like, wanting too much money or whatever for it uh for their services and stuff or promoting it and this was a long time ago and uh they were gonna advertise it was like a you know if your 16 year old daughter or son or whoever starts driving you clip it in the little oem sensor obm whatever it is you know where you hook up make sure like your check engine light is on or whatever it would just hook into there and you could track like pretty much all the same stuff so that's pretty cool, cool. yeah I remember that story about the truck just idling for three days. Yeah, <laughs> you might want to check on that, buddy. Yeah, that's um, funny. But I know we're getting a little long here, but I got a couple more questions yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Um, I remember. I mean, th- this is gonna stick in my memory, clear as day. Daytona this year, you guys are trying to qualify for the Xfinity race, and you missed the show by. I mean, it had to be what, like one thousandth, a couple thousand. Yeah, it was like one hundred something, something like, like that. that. But little. It was. I, I remember. I. I was doing like a thousand things at once that day, but, but I glared up and I looked and I saw that the 26 was not going to qualify. So I, I rushed over to your guys' garage stall and literally like Sam, Brian, everybody was there just like standing there, hands on their hips, head down. They were just like so disappointed. Mm-hmm. But, and then Sam saw me and he like perked up and I was like dreading talking to him. Cause I mean, I mean, we know him yeah. like better than most. He's, he's literally like one of the most hardest working dudes ever. And he's, put his blood sweat and tears and i'm gonna have sam on on the podcast later but yeah. this dude literally slept in a van for like months at a time yeah. to try to make this work and he saw me and he like got a smile on his face i was like dude i'm so sorry this sucks he's like eh, it happens we move on i'm yeah. like what you're okay like what because yeah. th- you guys missed the show by such a little amount um take me back there for a second like what 
what were the emotions for you as a driver knowing what you put into it and what the team put into it as well? So yeah, that, that one stung. We were, you know, like you said, one hundredth man. And so on, it was practice day, you know, we've gone into the weekend, you know, we got JGR power, like we're going to be good, man. Like we got TRD, everything like this is going to be good. And uh, we roll in and it's like, we're not as quick as we thought we were going to (laughs) be. And uh, it's like, Oh God, this is, this is not great. And uh, I didn't sleep. Like, actually, I slept like a rock that night, but I couldn't fall asleep at all that night. <laughs> and uh, I got back. I haven't been nervous to start a race in, like, years. Year. It's been since, like, 2017 since I've been like, oh, my God, like, this is good. we're going racing. Like, now, like, I'm the chillest dude ever before a race. Back when you were racing against your hero, Dalton Sargent, you were a nervous wreck. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just terrified. And uh, – were you terrified because it was Daytona or were you terrified because care. it was like the Xfinity? Any, I didn't give Daytona. a crap if it was Daytona at all. Like my buddies were like, oh my God, you're going to like my Connor Hall and all them. And uh, they're like, oh man, the first time you come through Daytona, you're going to see like the wall of banking and stuff. Like you're just going to be like, oh my God. I walked in there. I was like, all right, cool. Let's go. Like <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. Okay. But um, what were you terrified of then? Just, just like letting everybody down? or Yeah. I mean, it's just like, oh my God, like we need this money that we're going to get from the, uh, you know purse money <clears throat> but it's an expending race man like all this pressure you know like trds come on for our team this year and like everything's just like we got it we pretty much have to do it and uh we didn't <laughs> but what sucked is i ran a 15 or whatever in practice the day before and clinton cram my old crew chief he's with the seeks maybe now and uh he was like man, if you run a 15 or whatever, like, you're good. You're you're in the race based on, like, all the years before. And I was like, all right, cool. And uh, so I come back the next day, and I ran, like, a 02 or whatever in qualifying. I was like, we're good. I'm good. We're in the show. Well, and then I got out of the car, and the guys are just like, yeah, just kind of staring at the time. I was like, what do you mean? You ran said, like, a teen would get me in. And they're like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so that that was rough. And um, I remember just missing the show. And one of my buddies, he's a, uh, or he's like the White House liaison for NASA. He was down there, and uh, he's good buddies with everyone from RCR. He came up to me with a whole bunch of kids and everything, and uh, I guess one of his friends. And he was like, "Hey, man, like, how's it going?" And I was like, "Hey, you know, trying to be just as polite as possible." Yeah. I was like, "Excuse me for a minute," and uh, I just went in my trailer and just like sat there and just like, "Holy crap!" You know, it's like we might be getting ready to miss, and I, I couldn't just sit in the trailer, so I like to walk back in talk to brian and stuff and it's like where are we at and he's like well if we beat this one car we're in and like the one car was like justin haley or whatever it's like well <laughs> that's not happening so uh yeah so we just kind of did that and i was like all right well my super is 10 miles away so let's go there and so i picked up my crap <laughs> and uh cheer yourself up i mean it didn't cheer me up like at all but <laughs> uh, I got all my gear. I picked up my gear. I walked out of the track to my car and I was in the uh, RV or, or whatever. I was still in my full fire suit, carrying my helmet, everything. Walked to my car. Everyone's staring at me like, why is this dude just like walking in the fire suit? And uh, I drove to the track, walked in. My guys weren't even there because I wasn't supposed to show up to that track. I wasn't even supposed to qualify for that race that night. I was just supposed to show up and race at the super race. And uh, it, so they weren't even there. So we called them right when I missed the show. Or my buddy did. He was like, hey, we'll be there in like, you know, half an hour or whatever. And so they rushed to the track. They were on the beach. <laughs> they rushed to the track and got the car ready and 
Um, we were actually pretty quick for that place, man. I don't know what happened to that place. Like last year you could race all really well, but like this year you just can't pass like at all. Mm -hmm. Bubba Pollard, like he qualified on the pole, got inverted to eighth and he only finished like fifth in the whole hundred lap race. I qualified like 15th or whatever and, you know, finished like 15th. Like you just couldn't pass. You get on inside of somebody and they just, you know, do the thing. So, but it was still a good race. So, but. Well, I got um, two more questions for you, and I'll let you go. Yeah. Um, you mentioned racing against guys like Bubba Pollard. I mean, you have driven for and raced against some of the biggest names in short track racing. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you've done that in, like we said, a six-year span, which feels like forever ago, but in the grand scheme of things, that is no time at all. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that when you look back on that and think, man, I've driven for so many big, big-name people and driven against a lot of big-name people and developed a lot of friendships and relationships and won a lot of cool races and done some awesome stuff. I mean, do you ever look back and say, I've done a lot in a little time or do you, are, are you that type of person that's always like hungry and wants the next thing? Yeah. I'm kind of hungry and always want the next thing, but every once in a while I kind of like, it's normally times in the shower. I'll just kind of be sitting there thinking, you know, like everyone else. <laughs> so, shower thoughts. Yeah. I'll be sitting there like, Holy crap. Like, I remember when I was like seven years old and Peyton Sellers would be here at South Boston. I remember like going up to the fence while they had like autograph session or whatever and like meeting Peyton for the first time, you know, cause I mentioned my babysitter's brother worked for him. And uh, I remember like going to Orange County and watching him race and stuff like that. It's like me and him send each other memes and stuff all the time. Now they're just terrible. Right. It's like just normal, man. Like, <laughs> but I mean, it's, I go in the shop and you know, it's my normal thing. I remember walking in there for the first day and it's like, wow, like race cars. And now yeah. I'm like, well, here are these piece of crap late models, like, you know, so, but, you know, it's just, it, you know, you get used to it. And like I said earlier, you know, I can just walk by Kevin Harvick or whatever and not even really notice him. But it's just one of those things where, you know, the more you do it, the more you get used to it. But I, I kind of hate that at the same time. It's like, yeah, I remember thinking about, you know, like the Nationwide Series back in the day or it's like, man, like that, that'd be really cool to run it. And now like I'm here, in it. <laughs> like, it just kind of is what it is, you know? So, um, no, I, I feel the same way when it comes to like media stuff too, because, you know, growing up as a fan, yeah. these are your idols. These are the people you watch all the time and yeah. you're starstruck. And now, I mean, there's some moments where I get starstruck every now and then, but yeah. at the same time, you know, when you're interviewing somebody after a race, you got to do your job, ask your question. And if they're a dick to you, they're a dick to you. Right. And it's not personal or anything. Yeah. It's more so just like, you're in it yeah. and it's like looking from the outside you're not a fan that's anymore. such an envy right yeah. and, and that on that's a whole conversation for a different day but that was the toughest thing that i've ever had to do in my life yeah. transition from fan to unbiased media yeah. so that's like it's crazy and i feel like it's the same thing to a certain extent with you being a driver mm-hmm. i mean it's different because you're doing the actual driving right. and that's like a dream in and of itself but to see but the behind the scenes of how the business works, yeah. how financially dependent you have to be, you know, the heartbreak of hundreds of a second, you know, translating to thousands of dollars and what that means yeah. and stuff. It's it's a lot. Okay. Um, I know you tested at Dominion Raceway recently. It must have been really nice to get back behind the yeah. wheel of a real race car. Yeah. And that's what the Cup Xfinity and Truck guys are gonna do here soon and a little bit over a week at Darlington and Charlotte. Was it nice to finally drive a real race car? And um, also, if you can, if you can tell me, I, I don't know if you can. What's your guys' plan as a team yeah. for the upcoming races at Darlington and Charlotte? Yeah, so like that, getting back in a car was crazy. Like 
normally after like the winter break, I'm like having to remember like my routine and like putting on my earbuds, putting on my head socks. I normally do like everything so backwards. I'm like, oh crap, it's got the head sock or something like that. I, I like put on my, helmet, on my ear molds a lot. I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> like actually my biggest one is I don't put my socks on, my fireproof socks. Always forget That's that. Important. I'm like walking out. I'm like, <laughs> I got to take everything <laughs> back off. But Damn. um, yeah, so it's, I was surprisingly back in the routine pretty quickly and that's good. I was getting to work. I'd actually never worked with any of these guys, um, other than HC, who was crew chief in it. But um, mm-hmm. it was cool to just, you know, be back in the groove, getting back in the car. I hadn't been to Dominion in two years. Last time I was at Dominion was on my birthday in 2018. I got dumped leading. And so that was still a salty memory. I got dumped two years in a row leading that race. Your memory is uncanny, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Like all these stories that you've told, it's, it's great. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, yeah, so Tyler Hughes, I don't know if you know him. He ran Canaan. So yep. he dumped me, like, flat out dumped me in 2017 on a restart. I'd led, like, the whole race on my birthday again. Then the next year, dumped on my birthday with some dude. And uh, Never forget. Race car drivers never forget. Yeah, exactly. So me and him, he actually works for us. He was working for us down at Daytona. He was one of our crew guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. always mess with him. Like, I still owe you one, dude. Like, so. but um, <laughs> One day. Yeah, like getting back in a car, man, like it was crazy. And I was running one of Peyton's cars. I wasn't running one of mine. I saw, or you saw that I retired my late mall stock. And uh, yeah. it was my championship car from 17. And it's old, man. It's a 2011 chassis. But for a late model, that's like super old. And our uh, and cars. It was time. Do what? I said it was time. Yeah. Like, but what's crazy is like late model stock, like 2011, like that's old. But like my Canon cars I was running last year were 2005 chassis. <laughs> so, Jeez. yeah. And I think our Xfinity cars are like super old. I think one of them is like 06, something like that. It's like old. Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like once you get up to like those big cars, like it's wild. Rhett Jones Racing, that 30 car that they run at Super Speedways, that's older than me. Um, yeah, it's the car that oh killed Dale Jr. Actually, it was a former cup, or not Dale Jr., Dale Sr. That was the car that killed wow, Dale Wow, really? Sr. Yep. So I can't remember who's. Good Lord. Yeah, who's the one that pit maneuvered him? I can't remember. But, um, yeah, it was his car back in the day. Sterling Marlin? Yeah, whoever. I can't remember. So um that that's how bad Jeez. my NASCAR memory is. <laughs> but um It's cool that you got to get behind the wheel though. Yeah, yeah. So I got back in that thing and um got in Peyton's car. It was Peyton's car, it still is like got the Clarence's twenty six on it, which I grew up watching them uh run in, so that's cool to like be like, Oh man, I'm driving the twenty six car. So yeah. that was really cool. But um as far as Darlington and Charlotte and stuff I don't know, dude. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's wild to think like they're talking about no practice, no qualifying and stuff. So I don't know if they're going to like let other people run. But like I've never been right. to Darlington or Charlotte. I don't really exactly want my first lap to be the race. So, yeah, I don't blame yeah, you. <laughs> like that would be rough. Um, so we're probably I don't know what the next race is supposed to be. They were talking like Homestead or something. They haven't officially announced yeah. it yet, but I think, uh, you know, there's a bunch of tracks on the running Homestead, Texas, Martinsville, Bristol. If the yeah. stay at home order in Virginia gets lifted, we don't know yet. Yeah. But yeah. Our Virginia we'll governor, governor's great. So, um, hopefully we can uh, get back soon, but we'll probably, if Homestead is the one, we'll probably go to Homestead. But in the meantime, I'm going to try to find an indoor gym that's got rock climbing going on. I've gotten really big in rock climbing here recently. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched free solo or any of that, but like, I have watched Free Soul. That, that is insane. That dude is my hero. Go watch The Dawn Wall. It's on Netflix. It's Tommy Caldwell. He was in Free Solo. And uh, it's his, like, equivalent movie. Like, it's the same kind of, like, production okay. rate. 
so good dude like i've got so i liked free solo a lot yeah. but and and it's just because how the guy was wired but like i hate yeah. how he treated his girl yeah yeah but i kind of get his mindset too like it's just kind of i get it but yeah. i was like dude like yeah. let loose for a second yeah. would you yeah but it's just kind of he's focused you know like he said you know oh, yeah would it rather be he's driven between a girlfriend or climbing like he'd rather do climbing you know, like I'd rather do what I'm doing rather than a girlfriend, you know? So it's just, I, I get his That's mindset, right. but at the same time, you know, no, yeah, for sure. a bit nicer, but yeah, I've gotten like, <laughs> stupid into rock climbing recently. I've been reading cool. books. I've, this is the fastest I've like ever read books before in my life. It's just like blowing through rock climbing books, watching movies, all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Like, so, um, hopefully Yosemite and all that opens back up soon. Um, go back out there and see that. So it'd be cool. Yeah. But yeah, I want to start. Right. There's a big rock climbing gym right beside off axis down in Morsel um that i'm gonna start going to so but yeah so that's that's what we've been doing so <laughs> that's how bored we are yeah um well in the meantime wash your hands stay safe stay inside yeah. don't get too callous don't get too many calluses on your hands from rock climbing because <laughs> yeah. i have a i have a buddy that does it yeah. like pretty intensely as well and whenever i see him he just automatically just shows me his hands and they're beating yeah shreds, i mean so. dude, take care of your wall, hands they're sitting there like with a razor blade cutting off the cows it's disgusting that's so oh my god yeah oh, but, well um this has been fun man i really yeah. enjoyed this thanks for uh thanks for taking some time and giving me some fun stories yeah, this no is, it was nice to reminisce yeah for sure for sure so all right i'll hopefully see you soon and hopefully we'll maybe we'll see you at the race yeah, track. Man. uh if it has to be your first lap barreling into turn one somewhere <laughs> God bless you. May God be with you. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> and we're back. Told you it was a fun chat. And I know I say that for every single one of my episodes, which is true. But I really did enjoy this one specifically because Colin's one of those guys where you, you see him from the outside and you're like, eh, maybe he's not that interested or maybe he just doesn't want to talk, whatever. Once you get him going, he's going and he's fun. Um, and he's just really cool, nice guy. He's been nothing but good to me. So hope you enjoyed our chat. And if you see him on the track later on this year, I wouldn't be surprised because he's definitely going to be at some races. It's just a matter of when, not if. Lug nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. The 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame vote has been postponed, obviously due to coronavirus concerns. Texas Motor Speedway and Daytona International Speedway, they've been having graduations for some local schools at those facilities. That's really cool. I like what they're doing there. Anthony Alfredo won Saturday Night Thunder this past weekend at Dover International Speedway. I have him as a quarantine interviews segment that is posted on my YouTube channel, and it will be tweeted out by the time that you are listening to this podcast as well. That's Volume 5. And a bunch of safety additions and competition changes were announced from NASCAR in the wake of Ryan Newman's crash. It's a lot of legal jargon mumbo jumbo, but I'll try to run it down for you as best I can. The elimination of aero ducts at super speedway tracks, the reduction of size in throttle bodies, updated roll bar padding specifications, which is going to be mandatory at all tracks, the oil reservoir tank or overflow expansion tank must contain a check valve that's mandatory at all tracks as well and some other roll bar stuff. So essentially, more safety enhancements and the, the oil coolant thing was because remember when Newman was upside down and I thought the gasoline was pouring out? I thought that was fuel. Turns out it was oil. Competition changes include the temporary ban on most testing. That was lifted on Monday, which is May 4th, um, but on-track testing is not gonna be allowed in Cup, Xfinity, or Truck Series for the remainder 
of this year. That's a big one. Uh, I don't know if it's because of cost cutting, but that would probably be a safe assumption. Organizations are allocated a total of 150 hours in the wind tunnel through the end of the year. Uh, maximum usage of 70 hours in 2020, 90 next year, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this all legal mumbo jumbo. Not much else you need to know other than the fact that there's going to be some more roll bars. There's going to be less testing. They are hopefully learning and applying what they learned from the Ryan Newman incident so that nobody will be seriously hurt or injured in the future. That will wrap things up for episode 56, the Martin Truex Jr. edition of the show. Please, if you like what you heard, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, anywhere that you get your podcast. most likely we are there. And also, if you are a potential advertiser that would like to sponsor and partner with me, hit me up, SiegelDavy at gmail.com, or you can tweet me at DavyCenter. Hit me up Instagram at Davy underscore the man, two ends underscore four. You know where to find me if you need me. DavySiegel.com. That has all the stuff you need as well. I would love to partner with you and grow both of our brands exponentially. Peace and love, my homies. We will talk to you next week for another episode with somebody in the racing world. Until then, stay safe, stay inside, keep washing those hands, and guess what? Just over a week until we have real cars back on the racetrack. Can't wait.